This is the Veteran Trash Talk Hour, hosted by Nick, Dave, and Joe. Today's special guests are Doc Esser, a combat medic who gets off on priapisms, and John, who goes to Yale and sits at the same desk good old GW did coke off of. <laughs> What's up, Trash Talk Nation? Um, I'd like to say what's up to our guests. And uh, my soapbox is going to be based around a phone call I had with a family member who was a Coast Guard veteran. Uh, my cousin Nellie, who is also a detective in Fort Collins, Colorado. So she's a badass. Huge supporter of the page. And has, uh, you know, hosted watch parties and promoted through the police department and veteran friends. And um, we talked over the phone this week and she's giving me some notes here and there. And she said, uh, you know, I love the page and I love what you guys are doing, but it's heavily uh, army based and airborne based. And sometimes I don't even have a clue what you guys are talking about. And I started, you know, it kind of made me laugh and it was like, you know, it doesn't make sense, you know, because I'm sure some of the stuff they did was like on a different planet to us. I mean, We've all seen the Coast Guard on a Deadliest Catch saving crab fishing boats in the Bering Sea. I mean, that, that that's like a different plan to us, but we all did it in the military, you know, and that's kind of my point is I don't want people to get distracted because we're going to be who we are. We're all airborne um, infantry. We've seen combat, so it's going to be Army heavy. It's going to be airborne heavy. But uh, come on here and tell us, like, I got a badass story. That will blow your guys's mind and it's something you've never seen in your military experience that's kind of what we're trying to go towards is is really opening the doors for everybody but don't let the fact that we're you know we're all new and that everything that comes from this show is organic and it's stuff that we've been through so we're not going to pretend to be somebody we're not and uh pretend that we know what it's like to be it through go through buds or uh be force recon or a you know be in the Bering Sea with the Coast Guard. We want you to tell us what that's like. We want you to come on and say, hey, there's badass stuff being done all over the military that you guys don't know anything about. And you know what? You're probably right. But we want you to bring that traffic to us and tell us about it. You know, don't think for two seconds because we're all 80 deuce till we die um, that we don't welcome all of us. Otherwise, we would have called it the 82nd Trash Talk. We want all the veterans out there to come out and Lay your best story on us. And I don't care if it's from basic training. If it's funny, it's funny. I'm going to touch on one other thing before I kick it back over to Nick. If you didn't watch our fight picks, you're wrong. I'll give you a pass on that. If you did and you didn't bet, uh, my first lock proves just now that you're even more wrong because if you would have bet on Herbert Burns, I think it was a first-round finish. Like I told you, Nick, that one's already in the book. So if you listen to us, like we told you, you're already making money. And you can go ahead and parlay those picks, but it's the last time I'm doing it for free. That's my word. So any veteran out there that's got a great story, reach out to us. If you put your foot forward and tell us what you got, we'll take it from there. And we want all of you when it's all said and done. That's all I got. Thanks for being here. I'll kick it over to Nick. Hey, cheers, guys. Thanks. Uh, that was a good soapbox, Joe. Coast Guard. Yeah, we need some of those guys on here, some of those girls on here telling stories. That's that's fact. We need some Marines on here, but I don't. I honestly don't think the Marines know how to use anything that they're not taught uh, by some senior drill instructor, whatever they call them, you know. And 
They just, I don't know, for Marines, we could be calling you out. Nobody wants to come out. I don't know what else to say to you. With the fights, like I said, go with a bet on them. You're going to win. It's that simple. You know, I usually have the best soapbox. Uh, I was told to be a little bit more humble. You know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to write anything down this week. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to let Joe go first because he always has to follow me. And it's just like, good luck, dude. Uh, it's kind of like following Beckwith. That's why, you know, I usually put him after me uh, because he has gotten a lot better back to his normal form. So I haven't rehearsed anything. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. And like I was telling the guys earlier, you know, maybe I need a bomb. I, I need a bad one. I need to have a bad week. Because Suds, our producer, had a bad week. He was, you know, passed out drunk five minutes before we went live. But we, you know, we got him up. We revived him. We figured it out. Beckwith was like crying and stuttering his first time, but he got better. You know, I just, I got to have a bomb here. I got to figure out something. So this is what I'm going to talk about. This literally just popped into my head. I, I don't want to hear anything about Southern pride and not getting rid of the Confederate statues that kind of stuff, because you guys lost. I'm a Yankee. I'm from the North. Right? Losers don't get to write history. You lost. Your generals were traitors. For what? And then, oh, it's, it's the, the Confederate flag's about, about Southern pride. No, it's built on the backs of slaves, man. Like, that's what that pride's all about. And you know what? You lost. You had your chance. You Obviously, Lee defected, and he made a really dumb decision to go at Gettysburg. I don't know what that was all about. All the generals do their war college on how Lee screwed that up. But it's like, but he was a traitor. He sucked. Uh, so there should be – losers don't get the right. Winners get the right history. Yankees win. North wins. The South shall rise again. Well, we'll smack your pee-pee back down again. That's how simple it is. You guys still have dirt roads down there. You haven't recovered from Sherman's torching march through there. And that, but that's okay. That being said, we shouldn't get rid of the statues. Like put him in a museum. Like, hey, go down and look at what losers look like. This, th this is who lost. Thank God for the SEC and Alabama football. Like Beckwith, thank God, because otherwise there would be nothing like to do except fish and you know hang out. Because the South is a lot of fun, a lot of good music and good food down there. Second thing, I want to talk about opioids. I was thinking about that earlier. The Army has been gracious enough to, for me to get me off opioids. I don't understand how. You can say you can deploy by taking Valium, which is literally heroin, but you can't if you're if you smoke a bowl. Are, are, are we not? Are, are, are we not, like? Are we not seeing that the big pharma companies got all their hands and pockets in there? Putting soldiers on opioids is one of the worst things you can do. Then when they get out, they're dependent upon it. You know, we can we can go. 7.30 racks of Miller Lite, and I'm deployable. Obviously, I don't have a problem, right? Well, of course I don't. I'm a paratrooper. I can drink, but legs can't. You know, so legs go by a bunch of 30 racks, and they, they, they suck. But, you know, we groom ourselves to run hungover in the 82nd. I don't understand why, why we give opioids. It, 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 it shouldn't happen. There's too much out there. It's terrible for soldiers. They get hooked on it, and that's part of the problem with suicide, stopping veteran suicide. Get them off the freaking drugs. Get them off. It's that simple. The Army also, I'm going to call them out. I, I still work for the Army, so they can yell at me. Change the names of the bases. Why are the names of our bases after losers? I, I mean, if, like, they lost. They were bad generals. They got their butts kicked. Like, why are we naming bases after them? You know, and they were traitors. But that's my soapbox. But until then, I always have a growth mindset. And one of the best growth mindsets 
is Beckwith. He struggled. He failed. And I, I worked him through a little bit of coaching last week, how instantly he's able to fire out excuses of why things didn't go well. And after that coaching, because, again, the master is no – I mean, the student has become the master. Beckwith was the master. But I've learned too much. I've grown too much with the growth mindset. So with that coaching, Beckwith has come back on fire, on point. Literally, when he came on YouTube, there's only like five people commenting. One person's like, hell yeah, I love this guy. All right, Beckwith, you got one big fan. Let's make some more. Hey, what's up, Trash Talk Nation? Best honesty cap time. First thing, uh, honesty cap was is the uh, the blatant honesty cap that needs to be uh, needs to be put out there, and that is Nick. Never get on here without writing something down again. That was the worst rambling that I've heard. It was bad. You should write stuff down. You need notes. You're not that smart. You're not good. It was bad. All right. The uh, second and the and the actual honesty cap uh, that I wanted to bring up. First of all, it's June 6th. Back in uh, June 6th, 1944, a bunch of hard-ass Americans from all over the world, or well, from all over America and all over the world, to tell you the truth, were uh, getting ready to get on boats and amphibious landing crafts and jump out of airplanes and go put a foot in Hitler's ass. This week on uh, on YouTube... On the news, I've seen pictures uh, and videos of uh, people of several different races kissing the boots and kneeling, like the National Guard cops kneeling before protesters. And here's where I have a problem. I'll stand by you. I'll stand up with you. But if you ever, 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 ever think that one of us that comes from the lineage of people that were 18 years old and would get on an airplane, jump out with a piece of nylon to keep them from crashing into the ground or jump into some amphibious landing craft and jump onto some beaches with machine guns pouring down into them. If you ever think that one of us is going to kneel before you for anything, you probably got a hold of some of those opioids that Nick was just talking about. It ain't going to happen. You might as well get over it. Because in this life, I ain't going to kneel before anybody. You can kiss every bit of my ass. And that's my honesty cap for today. Awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks, Becky, for that one. That was pretty good. Again, we're, we're up and coming. We're getting better. That's all we're concerned about is, is getting better. And I like how you hated my rambling, yet it stuck with, in your head. You, know, you had to bring it back up. You had you just had to talk about what I said. And that's all from you. I learned that from you. So I appreciate everything you've taught me about how to talk trash and how to get inside people's heads. And I got inside yours just like that. You tried to come at me, but you had to bring me back up. You just couldn't stop thinking about me. So I appreciate that. I'm going to introduce... about right now? I'm gonna, you brought up the opioids in my speech, but that's okay. Now, without further ado... I'm going to introduce Jonathan Miller, John Miller. He uh, runs Outlaws Inc. You've seen him on our uh, on our group a couple times. We 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 misplaced where he was supposed to be on the show, so we got him on here. He's a former infantry officer, airborne guy. I believe he was with the 508, and he was friends with uh, Colonel Robinson. So Colonel Robinson was uh, down at Six RTB with me 
and he's out now. Uh, the main question I have, and I need John to answer when he comes on, is, is he a CrossFitter? Because Colonel Rob is a CrossFitter, and cro- any workout's a great workout. Stop. CrossFit is for small boys and women. That's it. If you like throwing around five-pound weights on the ground like they're 500, that's that's for you. So I really, John, I can't wait for you to talk about how much you do for veterans and how that your story about veteran suicide has motivated you and with your platoon sergeant you brought up in your bio. Before you answer any of that, I just got to know who we're talking to. Are we talking to a CrossFitter or are we talking to uh, somebody who uh, plays real sports? Great intro. Thanks for having me. Um, starting strength. So there's a company out there called Starting Strength. Uh, it's a famous blue book about strength training. That book changed my approach to fitness. So to answer your question, no, I am not a CrossFitter. I was. I was. I was a paying member of the Southern Pines CrossFit gym when I was at Brad. Gross. And I thought I was cool. But no, no, I, we have our own gym at, at home, all strength training now. So I hope I hope that met the criteria for you. I hope I passed. No, you're good. Perfect. I just want to make sure our opinion isn't somebody who thinks like one arm pull ups are super cool, like kip ups and stuff like that. Uh, but now we're going to listen to you. You got my attention now. Great. Yeah. So uh, Outlaws Incorporated. The website's vetsmakeit.com, all one word. Uh, bottom line here is the transition system is broken. So. Uh, We've got 200,000 or so veterans leaving the military every year. Uh, Roughly 140,000 of those are 17 to 34, no college degree, which, oh, by the way, is the highest risk cohort for veteran suicide, unemployment, homelessness, pretty much, you know, substance abuse, every possible indicator. And in my experience, they fall through the cracks. So what Outlaws Incorporated does is give them the tailored mentorship that they need to succeed in the civilian world, specifically through skilled trade employment. So we do two things. One, we take young veterans who are getting out that are unprepared. We give them tailored mentorship and help them through the job selection process. And then for employers, we find those employers that are crowded out in the current, you know, veteran hiring space. We get them GI Bill certified, we help promote their jobs that they have open, um, and we try and match those two groups. Uh, in the long run, what we're trying to do is build a, a reverse boot camp, a brick-and-mortar training facility, wood shop, maker space, welding, all that good stuff. Veterans are going to come learn a, a trade, and then employers are going to come compete to hire them. We have a long way to get there. That's a pretty expensive process. So um, at the moment, we're offering all our services for free to veterans and employers. We are trying to prove this theory that the system is broken and that we have the solution. I like how you brought up how the system is broken. I keep kind of get, trying to troll people with it on Facebook a little bit about how the English language itself makes it very linear and problem solving. So we, to solve this, we need to do that. And we, this is the problem as opposed to, hey, we're not even looking. We're not even looking in the right places. We're not, we, we're not asking the guys that know. We're not, we're not getting that intel, and everybody's about donating a bunch of money, building houses, building ramps, which is great. But are we fixing anything? So I'm glad you brought that up. That was that was phenomenal. And I, I want to say something about your internet and your connectivity. It's the best we've had as a guest so far. And I'm going to go with it's because you go to school at Yale, right? 
Correct. Yeah. All right. So you don't you haven't heard the intro song. I talked about I talked about Yale. Well, I had my uh, my brother in law who does the music put you in a good little intro for Yale. Is is it true that you're in the same desk that GW did lines off of? Yeah, yeah. And well, I think technically he did lines off of the hooker's ass, but it, it was around the same area. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So tell us a little bit. Uh, what 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 drove you to start it exactly though? Who like there there was this, there was something that really made you to to kind of want to give back, kind of like what we're doing. We've all had that experience. What 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 kind of drove you? What was that activating uh, activating event? That's MRT turned back with. Yeah. So um, you know typical officer story, right? You get out, you go to grad school, you get some high paying corporate job, right? So that was the path that I was on. I spent a couple months in grad school and, and I was in what they called like the recruiting track for a consulting. And I get a phone call from one of my former soldiers. Hey, sir, Dan Harden committed suicide. Dan Harden was one of my soldiers. We deployed together. You know, it's a cliche at this point to say like, oh, it was a shock that we there, couldn't believe that Dan would do this, you know? And go to the funeral, um, reconnect with the platoon. And I'm looking around the table at, at 30 guys that I went to hell and back with. And, you know, it just broke my heart because, you know, all of the things that they were struggling with are easily solvable if you have the right, you know, resources at the right time. And the thing that made it worse for me is I knew exactly what they were capable of. You know, I watched these guys go out on, on patrol after patrol after seeing their buddies get blown up and, put their neck on the line for each other. And the idea that they would come back, you know, home, get out of the military and then struggle to make ends meet just, it drove me insane. So I decided right there to start the business. Um, and, you know, the last year I spent in the military was in the warrior transition unit. Uh, I got injured. I had a long recovery. What it became apparent to me that the, the SFL tap and, and the way that the military handles that transition uh, has two really big problems. One is that they apply very general solutions. And I don't really blame them for that because it's the big army. They have to have policies that apply to everyone. And frankly, their mission is not to make sure that every veteran has a job. That's just something that they learned is an important thing to do. And the second problem is that they're outcome or they're process oriented, not outcome oriented. So what's important to them is that they check all of the boxes or the veteran does on their way out the door. Do you have a resume? Do you submit your budget to the person that checks the budgets? Do you have at least three jobs listed on this form, right? None of that addresses the underlying problems, with, which is navigating your benefits, meeting the immediate financial need, re-socializing to society. And, and I'm not making those up. Those are the problems that veterans report on surveys as the number one things that they have you know, issues with. And so I think those issues with the transition are structural. They are built into the bureaucracy. And I'm not going to blame the government and the, the people that are very well-meaning that want to make a difference in the lives of veterans. But, you know, coming from the private sector, I think I can do better. And you brought up, um, you know, charity. And a lot of people have suggested that I go about this as a nonprofit. I disagree with that. So I think charity is good for a targeted acute short-term problem like a hurricane or you know some massive life event like where you get AER and i think it disincentivizes the type of changes that a veteran has to make when they're coming out of the military you don't want to be a charity case 
as an E4 coming out of the military looking for a job. You want to you want to set yourself apart as the guy who's going to show up at the right place, the right time, the right uniform is going to tell the truth, is going to be accountable. They're not going to, you know, break the law. Right. And I can't tell. I mean, I, I get phone calls all day long from employers that are like, send me candidates. I, I can't find anybody who's reliable. You know, it, so in other words, there's there's definitely a market inefficiency here that I'm trying to solve the wider I can spread this this word, the better, because um, it's definitely a need right now. I mean, that's exactly the same end that we're all trying to get to is, you know, OK, we look at the system, we look at the problem and it's on such a high level that all we can do is fix what's in our backyard. So, you know, at, at this moment, progress is progress is progress. So so why not put some skin in the game? Rather than sit back and look at man, this problem's so big, this problem's so huge, and, and and look at it as a how do we fix that issue? Well, how about we just start something, create a community, get people around, start talking about what the actual issues are, and uh, you're exactly right. Give give just give these guys a chance and let them know that just because that part of your life is over does not mean that you can't be just as valid if not more in another capacity in life instead of giving them the crazy veteran tag or you know i mean but the way the way you put it is absolutely perfect and that's what that's what we set out to do when we started this was okay let's uh and and as far as going not for profit or 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 to make money i i agree with you i think the most progress the bigger dent that you can make is if you have a team aligned and 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 go for it start a company because the you know and the more you get that ball rolling, the more people you can help. But uh, I, I I love how you said that, brother, and I thank you for being on here. It was absolutely the same mindset that we have here, so that's great. Appreciate Cheers it. Cheers to Many John. Thanks, yeah. Cheers to John. com. Cheers to you, John. Phenomenal. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that was the question on the stream. Was what's the website again? So vetsmakeit.com is what I wrote, John, just to make sure that's right. Vetsmakeit.com, all one word. I was going to start to sound like an infomercial there where I said vetsmakeit.com about 600 times. So that it's just, we wake up in the morning going, let's make it. So maybe that's what, maybe that's what we need to do with Joe. That was awesome. Uh, good, good comment on that. We had that same discussion about being for profit or nonprofit. And it's like, do you really want to make a difference? Are you really worried about taxes? Are you trying to actually hire people? You're trying to build, you're trying to get bigger, you're trying to, you know, just get more and more involved. I just wanted to say I'm all, I'm also getting my master's at UTEP, so it's pretty much the same. You know, El Paso and Yale. I, I heard that we're pretty comparable. What, what do you think? You, you know, <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned about grad school. It's experiences may vary, man. It's with, <laughs> you know, it's definitely what you make out of it. And if this COVID thing has taught us anything, is that you can get a great education online. <laughs> I'm just paying more for it. Hey, John, phenomenal, phenomenal. And like Nick said, a lot of people are already asking about it in the group. So we'll make sure to post those links and uh, to your website and everything. Um, just amazing messaging like that hits home. Um, so our next guest is Doc Esser. I'm, on, I'm not going to be long winded here. I'm just going to, you know, two combat deployments, total of 27 months in Iraq. So I've served with quite a few medics in the infantry as well and on the deployments. Um, but Doc Esser is hands down one of the best medics I've ever served with, um, hands down. So cheers to Doc Esser. And I think I think uh, Joe and Nick will, will say the same thing. But uh, just your work ethic, your knowledge, 
and your reaction to situations that have occurred, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of these situations, was always spot on. There was zero hesitation with anyone, even combatants. You were there to do what you needed to do. You know, it's just you are you are one hell of a guy. Motivated, you could bring some smiles to our faces when we were down. You know, sometimes you pissed us off because you wanted to act like an infantryman, and we're like, no, you know, take care, take care of the individuals that are hurt. You know, focus on that. Anyhow, I'm just gonna hand it over to you, to Doc. Just tell us a little bit about yourself or the individuals that don't know you, where you're from, what you're doing now, and uh, let's talk. I'm Doc Esser, I was born in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. Moved all around the world before I came over here. At around 27 years old, the uh, 26 years old, the whole uh, issue started off with uh, them bombing our towers. So uh, at that point, I was like, you know, physically fit. I was in nursing school at the time. I was like, it's time to do something because I was uh, I knew I was physically fit. I knew a little bit of medicine. So I was like, what better job in, in the face of the earth is there to do than go be an infantry medic? So you get to have all the fun, but you get to make sure your guys come home. So that's exactly what I did. I went up to the recruiter and I was like, hey. I want to learn everything. I want to carry weapons. I want to learn everything I possibly can. But whenever one of my guys gets hurt, I want to be able to patch him back up, get him home to his family. He was like, oh, yeah, I got a job right for you. So he said, you know, it's a uh, healthcare specialist. And I was like, no, dude, I don't want to go into a hospital. That's the last damn place I ever want to go to. And he was like, well, he goes, you got about a 50-50 chance. You can either go with the infantry or I was like, well, definitely want to go to airborne school. He was like, all right, well, that'll probably guarantee you getting into the infantry then. So they got that in my contract. And uh, he was like, well, since you're old as shit, since you're 27 years old, whenever you're uh, you're joining up, you can pretty and you have all this school and everything behind you. You can either uh, you can have your choice of assignments like going to basic training, all that kind of junk. And so I said, uh, well, I want to go to Fort Benning, Georgia, because that's the home of the infantry, home of the air, uh, airborne. So why not? Let's try that one out. And I've also heard that they kick your ass quite well there. So. It started the uh, love affair with uh, getting the shit yelled out of you 20, uh, 24-7. It was, people were like, hey, you're going to hate the first two weeks. I was like, all right. You know, got done with that. Went off to airborne school or went off to AIT, which was an absolute joke at uh, Fort Sam Houston, San Antonio. That was like, I mean, whenever they told us to put on gloves because the ground was too cold to do push-ups February 14th, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. You know, went and did all that and then left and got uh, got over to airborne school, then got over to the unit. First thing I told the uh, platoon sergeant, I was actually uh, injured coming out. I had iliotibial band syndrome, so I couldn't, I was dragging my leg behind me and couldn't run for shit. And they were like, well, are you just a lazy piece of shit or are you injured? And I was like, well, I'm injured, you know, but I'll get over it soon. And Doc Squires looked at me and he goes, what, what's the problem? And I was like, I got iliotibial band syndrome. And he was like, oh yeah, I had that. He goes, you know the cure for that? And I was like, what? And he was like, you got to run farther, faster, and harder than you've ever run in your entire life. And I was like, well, that sounds like it sucks ass. So yeah, wonderful. And he made me run every single day, twice a day until it went away. And then one day I woke up and it was gone. As soon as I got off the injured uh, shit bag list, they were like, so what are your plans for while you're here? And I was like, well, the only reason I joined was to be, in, uh, be a line medic, 100%. I was like, I don't want to be on the ATLS team. I just want to be a line medic. And around about that time, Doc Israel was coming out. They went and did us, uh, put us in through a, uh, a nice little train up. And to see if we could even remotely hack it. And it turned out to be, I was like, I mean, they literally just kicked the crap out of us all day. And it was one of those things where they chose the landing zone next to where we were at. And it was 300 meters by about 100 meters. And uh, they said, go, you know, put all your gear on, go to the first point, do 25 push-ups. Second point, 25 eight-count push-ups. Third point, 25 regular, 25 eight-count. Come back here, 
put your weapon over your hands and grab, grab, grab like you're at the at the titty bar until you can't move your hands anymore. And they were like, all right, you got two minutes to run an IV on that guy. And if it comes out of their arm when we throw the bag, then you get one more chance. And if you don't get it on the second chance, then you're out. You can't be in line medic. I was like, well, shit. First one, did it in two minutes, 14 seconds. Second one, I did it in a minute, 48 seconds. After that, they were like, all right, you're going to go over and talk to Doc Israel. He looked at me and he was like, so you think you're fucking ready to be around any infantry guys? I was like, well, you know, I guess I'll find out. I left the hallway of the medics and they were listening to all this thrash heavy metal music and shit just screaming down the entire hallway. And then all of a sudden I rolled into the freaking um, into the Charlie Company barracks. And the first thing I hear is like Miley Cyrus screaming her head off down the road and people like grabbing beers and wearing fucking aviator glasses and damn near half dressed. And I was like, what the fuck? And they looked over me. They were like, the fuck are you doing here, specialist? And I was like, uh, and then uh, Israel looks over and he goes, hey, man, you guys know I'm coming off. So this is going to be your new medic. And they were like, uh, they were, he was, looked at him and he was like, treat him like he treated me the first day I walked in here. Don't give him any kind of fucking anything. He doesn't know shit and everything. So I was like, well, oh, okay, way to, way to introduce me to the group. Everybody just kind of turned their back on me right away. They were all like, yeah, okay, specialist, you know, drop down, do push-ups real quick and everything like that. You're going to be the doc? Okay, you're going to be the doc. Or you're going to be the doc one day whenever you, you prove yourself. And right after that, we went out to the, to the field. And they stuck us in Connexes, I think, that time. And it was freezing fucking cold. I was right in front of Augern. And somebody else, can't remember who was behind me, but they were like, hey, Doc, it's freezing in here. Do you mind getting cold? And I was like, hell no, you big butt boys, get your ass in here. And I pulled them into me and I pulled them behind me. And I was like, I'm just going to get in the middle and warm up. And from that point forward, they were like, okay. And then I think it was Sergeant, one of the, uh, I'm not going to say the name because that's a HIPAA violation. But, you know, he pulled me over the side and was like, hey, Doc, I got you. I got to have you check something out for me real quick. And he pulled his pants down and whipped his junk out real quick. And he fucking showed me this crown of horns that went all the way around the entire head of his dick. And he was like, is this normal? And I was like, oh, dear God, what is wrong? And I was like, have you had that? You're... I was like, is... did this just pop up? And he was like, uh, I need you to tell me what's going on with this. And I was like, number one, don't touch anyone at all. Don't go out in the town. Don't do anything. I was like, you just, dear God, I need to look that up. I've never even heard of it. And I went over. And like the next, I went back to the, my barracks room. I got on the internet and I looked it up and I, I'm like looking all over and I came back over like late. It was late, late, late that night. And they were all, everybody was obviously still up, still drinking. And I was like, Sergeant, are you sure you haven't had this like your entire life? And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, the only thing that I can find is the fact that it's like a genetic thing. You were born with it. So it's like pretty much you got an on-call French tickler that just goes on there for your entire life. And he was like, oh, okay, you're going to be all right. Yeah, I've had it my entire life. It's just, you know, it's just my little happy time and everything. And he just turned around and I was like, oh, okay. You know, and then that was it. And for the next two years in training, I think I saw more balls, dicks, and buttholes than anybody in gay porn has ever seen in their entire life. I think, I think 325 has seen a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Right before we went out and oh, oh, uh, oh boy, blew his toes off. Uh, the last thing he said to me was, he was like, hey, doc, can you come and check my butthole out real quick? And I was like, man, I don't want to do that. Just you need to go wash up like crazy. I think I have a hemorrhoid. So, you know, he, obviously he came over to me. He didn't wash and it was just nasty as hell. And I was like, dude, what the fuck, man? 
to key off what Dave was saying, I'll make that very short and sweet, but calm under chaos. That was Doc. Calm under chaos. When, when some shit that would have made most people puke was happening and there was all, all kinds of screaming and, and noise, everything else, Doc just went to work. It was, it was actually incredible to watch. So story I'm going to talk about is we're, we're brand new to brand new in country to the point where we were going on uh, dismounted patrols outside of the gate, like just walking out. Not, I mean, no trucks, just walking out, you know, just going on foot. For sure. Uh, uh, yeah, that's the one thing where Al-Qaeda watched us for like a week was like, oh, look at these crazy dumb motherfuckers. And then that, yeah. I'm going to talk about that story, a story about that as well. That changed uh, how the CEO said, hey, you're taking freaking cruise serves out there from now on. We figured out pretty quickly that the most dangerous thing over there was a gathering of Iraqi police with loaded weapons. It took a, it took a couple. We were out on foot, and I mean, we couldn't have been more than a quarter mile away. They call up over the radio saying there's been a, you know, accidental discharge. Somebody's been hit in the Iraqi police station. And we turn around, and we're running on foot to the point where, I mean, I thought I was going to puke when we got there because it was so hot. We were new to the country, whatever else. We get there, and there's like 100 of them screaming with, with, you know, and they all got loaded weapons. One of them just shot a round off off the wall that went through his buddy's chest. And the guy's laying there dying of a gunshot that people die in the emergency room of a major hospital from something like that. And he's laying there on the sidewalk and people are, you know, at third world education, people screaming, going nuts. And, you know, you can always tell who, who's got it up here because under chaos, they, you know, like I'm still going to go to work. And these people are going nuts. We had to clear dock a path so we could even kneel over the guy. And went to work, and this dude still lived in a setting that would have made most people shit on themselves. Doc, just give me give me enough room to kneel next to this guy and do some work, and maybe we have a chance here. And the guy ends up living. But um, anyways, Doc, I'm gonna turn it over to you. That's just my take on what I saw that night. Yeah, that was the uh, that was awesome. Actually, that was a that was the first intro, uh, introduction to Iraqi uh, Iraqi Iraqi work, I guess you could say. Um, what came of that one was it, I guess the bullet had gone in through the back shoulder blade and came out right underneath the, uh, his collarbone. So it blew out his, uh, his, it blew out his artery right there. So we had to put a lot of pressure on it to hold it until we got into the, uh, into the, uh, over to razor to get him uh, to get him over the PA. But after the problem with it was, was we just loaded him up on that fucking bongo truck, that car, uh, that fucking <laughs> police truck. And it was me. And one other, uh, one other guy from the group, and then an Iraqi dude, and then the dude on the ground. And we go, I mean, when we were hauling across the bridge, that guy was going like 95 miles an hour. And I seriously thought we were about to tip over. I looked at whoever it was in the truck with me, and I was like, dude, we're literally going to die in the back of this shit-ass truck, not even in combat, just get spilled out into the fucking Tigers. We got done with that, got him off to the, uh, to a razor so they could uh, they could medevac him out because we didn't have the capability by that time. Then by the time we got back, the group had moved around. Well, I'm sitting there wandering behind the police station, wandering the fucking streets, and everybody here knows my goddamn land nav, land nav uh, capability, which is like nothing. I mean, shit, you, you drop me off in the woods, and I'm just completely lost. So out in the streets, it's the same thing, especially in the country, I don't know. I'm sitting there wandering around, wandering around, looking for the group, and then finally, freaking... 
somebody sees me and I, I see them, I'm like, oh, okay. So I come running over to him. And I swear to God, Goltry about beat the shit out of me right there. He's like, God damn it. We cannot lose our fucking medic five minutes into a, on our first fucking mission, pretty much five minutes into country. We lose our medic. He's literally going to lose my command of this goddamn platoon. And I was like, I, I just went with a casualty. Whenever I came back, nobody was there. And he was like, Doc, seriously, fuck, man. You know, stay with two guys or three guys. Just don't walk off by your fucking self. And I was like, oh, you know, these guys were with me. Oh, shit. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Those are guys that just shot their buddy. Okay. So the whole entire deployment. You know, I joined the military at the time I did in order to do certain things. And I can, you know, everybody's like, how many deployments you gone on? How many deployments you done and everything? I'm like, yeah, you just don't understand the deployment that we had. Nobody understands that it's not about deploying overseas. It's not about, you know, about being, you know, there's a lot of people that obviously we all saw them when we went down to fucking Bakuba and Warhorse and all those fucking areas that we got called out from our little fucking patrol base of 150 dudes on a, on a 100 by 150 meter base. And we had to go down and do fucking clearing operations for a bunch of assholes that couldn't leave their fucking, uh, their fucking striker vehicles and Bradley's because they weren't trained to do that. So they, we flew into fucking Warhorse and they're doing intramural sports on the grounds with flag fucking football and had a goddamn chow hall that was bigger than our base with a fucking Latin club in it and shit. So whenever people talk to me about like they were deployed, I'm like, okay, you know, there's a lot of people that deployed that, that never left the base and never saw anything. So I'm like, it's about the structure of what you do while you're over there, you know, what you make the most of it. And I can honestly say that my time with y'all, I was able to check off every single thing that I'd ever wondered about myself. Like, you know, everybody goes overseas and, you know, you watch movies before you go over there and you, do, you know, inside your head, everybody has that that thought of what kind of person they're going to be and how they're going to react and everything. And, and, you know, the number one thing I can say is that, I mean, I was married. I got married like uh, right before I found out we were leaving for overseas. Um, so that, you know, that was all that time on. But whenever I went over there, it was like every single thing that I do is in work for the guys that I'm with. And everything I do is to make sure they make it home. That's exactly why I joined. That's exactly what I did. And, you know, everything's not peachy all the time. Every, you know, it's just like a fucking family. You know, you don't love your family all the fucking time. You know, everybody gets at each other's throats. Everybody fucking talks shit to each other. Everybody does everything. But at the end of the fucking day, when the cards hit the ground and everything, I knew for a fact that every single time I get, I went outside that, that damn wire, I knew that every single fucking person that was there was looking after me. And every single person, I was hoping that every single person that was there knew that I was looking after them no matter what. And I would do anything it took, uh, you know, go out into any situation, do whatever I needed to in order to make sure that they made it home. You're, you're hundred percent spot on. And I, I like how you kind of brought up that, you know, everything you wanted to do or you had questions about yourself that, you know, you figured it out with, you know, a great group of guys, you know, family. And like one of those things is you've seen enough buttholes and, you know, they'll know that you weren't gay, you know, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with it, but you, you, you saw enough. And I, you, you actually helped me out with an issue I had too as well. Uh, appreciate that. I got a story that kind of involves uh, Joe and Dave. Like I said, we're new. We're new in country. You know, we're walking around with just, you know, two two squads of infantry guys in one of the most dangerous cities in the world. And we don't have any cruiser weapons with us. The enemy's like, look at these retards, right? So they, they, they start, they're shooting at us this whole damn patrol. We're not fighting them. I mean, we're running all over the place. And the bad guys are trying to funnel us 
somewhere where they can ambush us. And so they just light a fire. So one of the VPs from the patrol base is like, hey, there's a fire over there. So what do we do? Let's go check it out. You know, let's, let's go look at this fire. We go down there and we're walking up into the hill, up a hill in an alleyway by the Golden Mosque. And all of a sudden, third squad's back there with, uh, you know, with Whitehead, the four-foot guy, the best guy to possibly be pinned down in the world. This guy was only four feet tall because he was the one who could get lowest to the ground. But all hell breaks loose. And this is the first time I've ever heard a real explosion. And it was like, boom, nuts, crazy, and bullets cracking. And I and we're in an alleyway. Like, I'm like, we're screwed. Like, we're, we're done. Like, what the hell are we going to do? I mean, but I don't know anything either. So, I, like, I take a knee, and I'm sitting right next to Murph. And Murph's looking at me. I'm like, what the like, before I could say that, I hear our PL, who was awesome, by the way. People, when he says Goldtree, it was our PL. He was, all I heard was he said, Anderson, get your squad through that fucking alleyway. And, like, right there, I was – and it was so quick. And I was like, yep, that's us. And we get up, and we're moving because third squad's crying. Like, they're, I mean, they're taking shots. They're, they're laying down. They're, I mean, I think maybe, like, one guy was shooting back. Uh, but we had, to, we had to help. Second squad had to go get him. You know, so we – we're going through this alleyway, and Goldry saw this. He saw that he knew the terrain, and the enemy was trying to flank us at the same time. But we had to beat him to it. And the guy comes around the corner with an RPG, and that you know that didn't end well. And as as we're as we're running, I get like, there's this door that we have to go through. And for some reason, they gave Doc fucking Esser the shotgun. I don't know why. But I'm the lead guy. I get to this door and I call for a breach, right? And I like I have no idea that Doc Esser is the breach guy. So here comes Doc Esser. Before anybody can say a word, he was so excited and he just throws three shotgun rounds into this door, into a metal door that I'm standing right in front of. And I, I still got that stuff coming out of my face, Doc. You know that the, the metal is still in there. So I, I appreciate that. That was that was pretty cool. As an HHC first sergeant, I want to hurry up. I, I had to tell my medics about you, and I know Blake Wise just came on. I know you know Blake. Uh, he's coming to the Sergeant Major Academy, so congrats to him. But, but I had to bring him in to, to like actually tell him what medics do to like my medics. And I was like, you, you guys are so soft. you got no freaking idea. what It probably will never happen to you, but if you're into the grinder like our boys were, like our medics were, where every day they were either working on a U.S. guy, and every day they were for sure working on an Iraqi. You know, and they had to rotate the medics out of the damn aid station because they were just treating too many damn casualties. And the PTSD from that shit is enormous. You know, and it's like they saw so much stuff and it's like they had to rotate them out. But they didn't rotate out the line medics as much because us infantry guys, not a fucking chance will we give up a guy that is doing that for us and fixing us. But I appreciate the little metal pieces that come out of my face. Uh, that, that was from you. Uh, we did save third squad. Um, we, 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 you know, they owe us for that still. So anytime the squads ever get together, they're definitely buying us a beer. Um, but yeah, go ahead, uh, Dave. Anybody else got anything for uh, Doc? Whenever we were down there and uh, Kasor died, and um, and then uh, Willis and Morley uh, were there. Outside of U.S. casualties, I think the worst, the worst day that I had was. When we were over and uh, we were checking out an area that was way off on the fucking, it, I guess if you're looking at the map, uh, where the where the, uh, where the casino, where we were, where uh, Olson was, and you, uh, we went to the far out we uh, west near the berm. We were checking the berm, and while we were out there, um, 
this fucking massive explosion goes off. It turned out the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had pop, uh, popped in a whole bunch of uh, HESCO barriers um, leading up to these uh, these houses of people that were kind of against the regime that was inside the areas and they they you know they were it turns out that they were they were really pleading with them to leave those hesco barriers and we got you know we heard that explosion and we went down there well i guess the uh corps of engineers had pulled the uh the hesco barriers out so somebody rolled a v-bed right in there right whenever all their kids were playing in the street well by the time we got up to the up to the area there were kids laying everywhere there were people laying area everywhere and i guess the Iraqi special operations guys or something were there and I was trying to push myself through the entire group because I'm looking at this little girl and she's just bleeding out right there and um and I'm yelling at the guy look I'm a fucking medic let me the fuck in there because and they're like they don't want you here and Chavez was, it was grabbing me and somebody else was grabbing me and pulling me back and they were like doc they don't want us here and I was like no there's no fucking parent on the face of the earth that has their kid dying on the goddamn ground that doesn't want somebody to fucking save that kid's life. I was like, I can do something. And it was just, that day was, I saw the, the absolute chaos and the lack of understanding and the miscommunication between the groups. And um, that I mean that day to the, to this day I think about it all the time and uh, especially in the job I'm in you know we see little uh, we see little kids come in all the time you know we get we gotta go out to calls and kids are tossed out of cars because the car rolled and you know every now and again you'll get a flash of one of those kids that looks almost exactly like it and you have to pull yourself back in and fucking get back to reality and you're like okay it's not that one but um, we stayed there for a while. And they wouldn't let me go anywhere near uh, any of those, uh, any of the kids that were on the ground. They picked, uh, picked them up and were putting them in that shitty ass little fucking ambulance to take them down to that sorry ass hospital in the center of town that we were all like, like, I wouldn't even have a leg wound fucking treated at that place, more or less a, an actual something they had to do surgery on. We were sitting there in the trucks, by the truck, standing around, looking at all the stuff while they were getting everything put in. And the, and the father of that little girl walked right by us with a sheet over the top of her that was stained in blood all over the damn thing. And I swear to God, the guy just fucking stared me down the entire time as he was walking up and as he walked by and kept on walking over to his house, just looking at me like I was a piece of shit. That thing really kind of fucked with me for a long, long, long time. That's awesome that you shared that story. And that's kind of what we're trying to get at. Hey, little man. Uh, we're trying to get at that. It's like, we have to let it out. We got to talk. Let the beast out. Uh, I was gunning that day uh, on that mission. And when that bomb went off, it was insane. And I tell very few people that it's like, that is exactly what I saw too. I saw those kids on the ground and I was like, that this is bad. Like, this is real bad. And, and for so like some more situational awareness, you know, that was an Al-Qaeda blew up that freaking place. All the Iraqis there thought that we had did it. And they didn't want us coming in there. And it's like, it, it was one of the most, it was probably, and I'll say it, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And I, I don't have the skills that you have to do what you could have done. So I, I, I'm not going to try to put myself in your shoes, but I can, I saw what you saw. And if I'd have known what you'd known and what you could do, it, it's freaking bad, dude. It's, it's bad that you, that you weren't able to help. And it wasn't your fault. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't our fault either. We were trying, and they just they wouldn't let us because they thought we blew them up. And it's like it, it wasn't us. We responded to it. We got there. But I hey, I appreciate you sharing that story, man. That's dude, you're the man. Phenomenal story, Doc. You know, and 
There's about 10 other ones that are very similar that we could sit here and share that both Joe and I witnessed in Barcuba, things of that nature. I think you know what you're talking about. Um, thanks for patching me up when I got shot in the big ear and I had a big hole because Staff Sergeant Trenton at the time pierces his ears with bullets, you know. So, hey, it is what it is. You had me covered, all right, and I was uh, good to go. But, um, hey, thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Jonathan, the stuff that you're doing, that message that you're portraying, that organization that you're creating, I mean, that is exactly what we need. Um, so we're going to ensure that we're going to push that out. Everybody is asking for the link and everything. So make sure, you know, we get it from you, the website, whatever we need to do, because that is exactly what we stand for. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Doc. All our subscribers and listeners, hey, keep keep tuning in. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. There's been plenty of challenges out there for you guys to get on it. Um, we're still a little low on YouTube. We need to hit that thousand, like Joe said in his video. Once we hit that thousand, you know, the sky's the limit. We'll, we'll just keep going. We'll just keep going. So please hit that subscribe button. Keep sharing us. Keep inviting friends, family, Marine Corps, whoever it is, civilians alike. All right. We want civilians to get an understanding of what we go through, you know, and like Nick, I think it was Nick or Joe. They spoke about it earlier. Um, the memes, all that stuff. Nobody really understands what the fuck we're talking about, but it's going to give them an understanding. Okay. Because we talk trash and we have fun amongst each other. Great show, guys. Thanks, everybody, for coming on and we'll catch you guys next weekend.